We're only covering one verse tonight. And I went back into the, I went back into the notes of uh, last time we were in Colossians, and we only covered one verse then as well. And we spent a good bit of time. And sometimes I go back and I take some of the things from the old outline and bring them on in and kind of put some other stuff on around it. And I left everything from the old outline off. <laughs> didn't bring a single thing on over. So it's uh, <laughs> just didn't seem to be anything in there that we're going in a different direction. So um, still just one verse, just a different direction in, in where we're going. But here it's a very simple verse. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. That's it. But here we're going to find three things that need to define our prayers. And too often Christians don't have these three things defining their prayers. But if you can compare all of your prayers to these three things and see how they do, because every time we pray, they ought to be there. He says here, first off, continue earnestly in prayer. Now that word there, continue earnestly, is one word in the Greek. One word, and I put it in your outline for you, proskartario, to be earnest towards a, uh, to, to be, I'm sorry, to be earnest towards the thing, to persevere, be constantly diligent. So he says continue earnestly. It's not just a matter of continuing in prayer. There are many Christians who continue in prayer, but they're missing the aspects of prayer that are supposed to be there. And so what they are doing is not actually prayer. He says continue earnestly in prayer. This earnest needs to be there. I, I pulled another definition too. To preserve with, with or persist in. While it primarily carries the meaning of carterio, remain strong, steadfast, and persevere, it gives greater emphasis to the time element. Duration is the key element in persistence. If we are going to persist in something in which there is difficulty, something must be coming against us to stop us from doing it. He does not say continue in prayer. He says continue earnestly in prayer. If you wanted to say continue in prayer, he could have used another word. But he didn't. He chose this word. This particular word is used ten times in the New Testament. You can follow it out if you want to. We're going to look at a few times that it, uh, that it was used. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. So there Paul uses the... The same word. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. Then all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Same word there. There is that continued. But we know, of course, in Acts chapter 1 that they continued. They were in earnest. There was a fear of possible persecution. There was a waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So not only is it used for prayer, it's also used here in, in the doctrine. They continued steadfastly. They earnestly stayed with the doctrine that the disciples were teaching them. Acts 6 and verse 4. But we give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Remember when that came up and the, the feeding of the widows and such things were going on? So he said, we're going to get these guys over here to take care of this. And we are going to continue to give ourselves continually to prayer. So they were going to continue earnestly in prayer and not be sidetracked by these other things. Not that those other things were bad. You can be sidetracked by good things. But if you're sidetracked from what you're supposed to be doing, then it's a problem. It's a problem for you. In Mark chapter 3, verse 7, we're going to read a whole passage here. The word is used, but let's take a look at this. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. In Jerusalem... 
and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan. And those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat, here it is, should be kept ready. Should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. And he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. So we're creating the scenario here. People were being healed by how? By touching him. So everybody wants to come up and to touch him. And so everybody, went, all this, this whole crowd is coming to try and touch him. We've got this huge multitude of people coming to try and touch him. He says, you need to get a small boat ready because if it gets, if it gets nasty out there, they're not concerned about me. They're concerned about touching me. And so they can just, uh, you know, just mob that whole, whole thing over. And we can see some of that, you know, some of the stuff that goes on with celebrities and the mob wants to try and press in and, and do that. I've never been involved in that, but I have been involved in a mob. Uh, many times, many times I've been involved with a mob. It uh, happened down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, getting ready to go into Winter Bible Seminar. There was mob activity going on that people just could not wait to get inside the church for, uh, for church to happen. And you had to, you know, carry the, the be careful of the women and the children and so forth. And, and uh, my wife had a strategy and we were going in there, you know, you take this one, I'll take this one, hang on to them. And it got to be a little, a little tough out there. But this is the idea. He told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready. So if you're going to keep a small boat ready, what you are doing is you are continually watching. You're in the small boat or around the small boat watching the crowd coming around Jesus. Should we act? Should we act? You are waiting for something to happen for which you should act so that Jesus can get into the small boat. Because his idea is they won't keep pressing about me in the water. And I can get into the, into the boat. And uh, we can have, so he's going to stay towards the shore. And if the crowd got to be too much, I'll get in the water. We'll uh, retreat to the boat and we'll do everything from there. So this boat is following him along. And if you are in the boat and your job is to keep that boat ready in case he needs it, then your attention has to be on Jesus. And you can't be focusing on the things that are being done or all the things that he's being said. You are watching out for Jesus' safety. Is Jesus' safety being compromised? So you're watching out for, for one thing. It's kind of the scene, you know, you, you're watching the movies and you got the bodyguards. And the bodyguards are guarding whoever they're guarding. A celebrity, uh, a singer, a pol- politician, whatever it might be. Their focus is not on what the politician is saying, what the uh, singer is singing, or what the um, celebrity is doing. Their focus is on where are they going? Who is around? What is happening? Do we have to enter? They're, they're focused on all the crowd. They're focused on all the things that are going on. And their focus is intense. Because they have to see, you know, does somebody have something? Is somebody trying to hurt them? Is somebody trying to harm them? They're a bodyguard. That's what they're, they're there to do. They're, they're, they're there to, to take care of that. How many remember movies? Got the bodyguard in there. And, and uh, some of them were real fun. What was that one that Whitney Houston was in? And the... Is that a call? A bodyguard? Look at that. It's right there. I like the, the guy who played in that one. I, Kevin Costa. I like him. And, you know, he's just focusing. And he's just out there. He's just focusing on the crowd and what they're going to do. Focused on the crowd. Focus on what's happening. Not caring about the celebrity. Not caring about autographs. Just focusing out on here. And, so, and of course, we also had that uh, movie we all enjoyed so much. What's the um, uh, Taken? 
Yeah, taken. Because uh, he's he played a part of a bodyguard for for a little bit and get the signature for the autograph. He wanted to get the signature of the autograph of the star for his daughter. But while he is out there, what's he doing? He's focused on the crowd. He's focused on who's doing something crazy. And somebody did do something crazy. He had to get there and and take care of that. And they they didn't neutralize it. But that's what they're doing. So these guys in the boat, they're acting in that kind of a capacity. They're just focused on this. He says, when you, this is the word that's being used. This intense focus on the purpose that is at hand, on what we are to do. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Don't let these other things come in and distract you. And when you see as we get on through here, there's a whole lot of things that can distract us in prayer. Don't let those things distract you. And as we look into this, you're going to find some people that you may know who love to pray, but are constantly focused on the wrong things. They're not continuing steadfastly in prayer. They're continuing steadfastly in something else. But it's not prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Your focus needs to be on what the prayer is to do, is, is going on. Continue. This is on a continual basis. One place in the Word of God it says, uh, pray constantly. Pray without ceasing. Just keep on praying. Praying all the time. I like uh, Swift Wigglesworth thing on this. You know, he, uh, how long do you pray? I don't think I pray any more than five minutes, I think he said, or five or 15 or something like that, some short number. A shorter number than we would have thought because we were used to these people, hour, two hours, three hours in prayer. And he said, but I never let more than five minutes go between prayers. Mm-hmm. Just constantly in, in communication with, with the Father on that. And that's what prayer should be, constant communication. Mm-hmm. It's not that you have to go away and pray for an hour, pray for two hours, pray for three hours. But while you are in prayer, it is your focus. And when you are in there, you are continuing steadfastly. You're not letting these things come in and distract you. You're going to be like the disciples were when they had this boat ready. If this boat is needed, it is right there. We don't have to get it into place. It's right there. We're ready to go. I'll put this in your outline. Many people continue to pray, but have we lost our earnestness? Have we lost that focus? Have we lost that intensity? kind of faded from from that so let's go on here and take a look at what he says he says continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it now this word it's used 23 times in the new testament it means to keep awake to watch to be vigilant now most of the time this can be used in a literal or a figurative sense but most times it is figurative one time i found it is used literal and i wrote that in the Definition there for you. In 1 Thessalonians 5.10, only place I found that it was used literally. Uh, literal. We die, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. The word there, wake, is this word right here. And there it's used in a literal way. Most of the time it is figurative. To keep awake. Now, it's, if you're going to pray, it's a good idea to keep awake. <laughs> right? How many of y'all know we praying? If we decide I'm going to pray for an hour, we can wrestle with the whole sleeping thing. Yep, we surely can. That's a lot of times that's because we're, we're praying wrong. We got the wrong idea about prayer. We're thinking that prayer is, well, I have to go into my room, I have to get on my knees, and I have to just uh, shut everything else out and just focus on God and just think of whatever it is that I need to talk about with God, and, and we'll sit here and we'll talk about these things, and we kind of drift off, and, or else we're over there, you know, well, I pray for cousin so-and-so and for uh, you know, aunt so-and-so and uncle 
and we're praying for all the relatives and we got the little list of all the things and maybe we got a little book and we got all everybody's prayer requests and so we, well, Father, I, I pray for brother so-and-so. They got this request. I pray for sister so-and-so. They have this request. And so we're, there's no earnestness in it. We're just kind of going over the list. That's not really what prayer is supposed to be about. But here it says to keep awake or to watch, to be vigilant. Now this word is used a number of ways of warning people. Believers are warned to watch and pray, is one. Uh, to watch and be on guard against the enemy's attack. First Peter 5 and verse 8. This is probably the first verse that comes to most people's minds when you use the word vigilant. Because how's it go? Be, <laughs> be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So there you are to be vigilant, be watchful, because your enemy is trying to find out who he can take out. So believers are warned to watch and pray and to be on guard against the enemy's attack. Third one is to be prepared for the Lord's coming. This, verse, this word is used in verses to tell you to watch and be aware of the Lord's coming. So to pray, to be on guard against the enemy's attack, and be prepared for the Lord's coming. All those things, to be on guard against the enemy... And to pre- be prepared for the Lord's coming, we can understand the word watch there. I am, I'm, I'm doing, I'm going about doing the things that I'm doing, but I am aware that something out there is going to happen. Jesus Christ is coming. I'm being aware. I'm not sitting up there looking in the clouds. I'm going about doing my stuff. I'm doing the thing. I'm going to work. I'm going to church. I'm going home. I'm going to the store. I'm going shopping. I'm cooking dinners. I'm doing, the, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in life. But I'm being aware, the Lord may come. The Lord may come. And I keep watchful over that. Even with the enemy. You know, think National Geographic. Think gazelles coming out to the water hole. You know, and they come out there. They're doing what they need to do. They're getting the water that they need. But what are they doing? They're being watchful. They don't want there to be an enemy. But if he comes, they want to be able to see him. And so they're getting a drink. They're doing the things that they're doing. But they're being watchful, being careful because that enemy is out there and he wants to get some of us. So they're, they're being watchful. But that same idea there is for prayer. So here's a question for you. What are we to watch for in prayer? If the same word is used to watch for the Lord's coming, to watch for the enemy, what are we supposed to watch for in prayer? Because it's very clear what we're watching for when we're watching for the Lord's coming, isn't it? The Lord's coming. It's very clear when we're watching about the enemy. What are we watching for? The enemy. It's pretty clear. So what are we to watch for when we pray? Well, the first thing I put in there, changes. When we pray, aren't things supposed to change? So things should change when we pray. Do you remember the story in the book of Acts, when Peter was taken prisoner and they were going to execute him. So all the church got together and they began to pray that God would intervene and that Peter wouldn't be executed. So they were praying. And then God intervened. Brought Peter out of the prison. He went over to the house where they were praying. Knocked on the door. A little girl came. Who's there? Peter. Peter's in prison. 
So she goes in thinking it might be a trap. So he's trying to get in. <coughs> so they go in over and Peter's at the door. No, can't be Peter. Yeah, Peter's at the door. Peter's outside the door. Thinking, what in the world is taking so long? I just got let out of prison by an angel and you guys are all in. Nobody's coming to the door. Knocks on the door again. So they eventually come on over and they let them in. So they weren't necessarily watching for changes. They're just praying. We can't just pray. We have to watch. Remember Jesus in the garden? What did he tell the disciples? There's a, there's a watching that needs to go on. Of course, we have that religious thing that comes on in. And whenever we pray, you're supposed to close your eyes. Try this out sometime. Go up to one of your friends and start a conversation with them and close your eyes. How's that go? Walk into a store, ask for some help from a service uh, uh, person there and giving the service. And as they come to give you help, close your eyes. See how that goes for you. <laughs> now, we don't have to close our eyes. We don't have to close our eyes when we pray. You can, but you don't have to. There's nothing in the Word of God about closing your eyes. You can walk around, have your eyes wide open, and pray to God. Because he says more often, watch and pray, not close your eyes and pray. Never one time says close your eyes and pray, but constantly says watch and pray. So watch and pray. Be watchful. But keep your spiritual eyes open too. You're watching for changes. There ought to be some changes. So what are we to watch for? Well, changes. And then when changes happen, then we need to do something too. When that happens, when change happens, we must respond in faith. The people with Peter, I don't think that was a great faith response. I think they responded in doubt. And sometimes we can do that. We can be praying for situations in our own life. And when a change occurs, we react to it. We've got to be careful how we react. This is why I've said this how many times, and I know other people have said it too. Because you'll have people who come to you and say, I'm going to the doctor. Will you pray and agree with me that I'll get a good report? Mm. Warning signs should be going off. The Word of God never tells us to pray for a good report. Never tells us that at all. If you pray for a good report, you're setting yourself up to fail. Mm. Don't ever do it. Don't give in to that. To that, that because then you're going to be watching for a wrong thing. How many times in the Word of God... Were, were people praying for, the, for something, standing with God, and things got worse. But the idea was, st- keep standing. Keep going. Don't, don't quit. Stay with it. Stay in, in faith. And that's what we have to do. We have to stay in faith. Just because things don't seem to be going our way, Amen. that doesn't mean that it's not. Amen. You stay with it. You can watch and pray. And a, a bad report can come. And what do you do when a bad report comes? <laughs> just laugh at it. I didn't, I didn't ask for a good report. I asked for a healing. I asked for this to change. Whatever it might be that needs to change, you ask for that particular thing to change. You didn't ask for a good report. Don't ask for a good report. Remember that song? Whose report will you believe? Well, we believe the report of the Word of God. But change is going to happen when you're praying. Sometimes it changes for good. Sometimes the change can be for bad. It doesn't matter. You've got to stay, keep your reaction in the area of faith and keep going there. Sometimes people have prayed for a thing to happen and then they get a report 
that it's not quite the way that it is. And they respond, instead of in faith, they respond in doubt. And they go back in prayer and they start complaining to God. But I've been praying. I was believing. How come this thing went this way? Why did this thing go this way? This has gotten worse. See, we're complaining. Continue earnestly in prayer. Being vigilant. Being vigilant. Mean be, being watchful. Being watchful. Watch and pray. Stay awake. Stay watchful. Be vigilant. So the last one was many respond in doubt. But we have to stay in a place where we respond in faith. Stay responding in faith. Don't move over into the doubt area. The enemy loves to do this. He wants to sucker you in. And I've seen it happen with so many Christians. They get lured in to a good report. They're believing God for a, a job. They're believing God for a better job. They're believing God for a raise. And they start to get some reports about the better job, about the raise, about whatever it might be. And they begin to put their faith in the report or in that particular source where that's coming from. And then the enemy's got you because now your faith is no longer a God. Your faith is in that. So if he gets that to dry up, your faith is empty. Don't do that. Don't believe God for a good report. doesn't matter what source you may see that it's drying up from. Follow after God. Father God, this is what I asked for. Father God, this is what you told me in my spirit. This is, I'm pursuing the things that you told me to do. But you be watchful. Just because a negative change occurs doesn't mean that the outcome is decided. Now remember, Elijah is up on the mountain. The Word of God says that he prayed earnestly that it would rain. And so he prayed and he said to the servant, what did he say to him? Go look. Tell me what you see. God came back. What's he say? Nothing. Nothing at all. Elijah prays some more. Go back. Go see what you see. Comes back. What's he say? Nothing. Nothing. But Elijah's not deterred. He keeps praying. He keeps, keeps going. Still earnestly praying. And uh, sends, sends the young man out again. Comes back. Says, nothing. Nothing. Seven times. Seven times he went out. And on the seventh time, he comes back and says, well, there's this little tiny cloud. <laughs> That's all he needed to see. He says, all right, get up. Rain is coming. Now, how many of you have ever thought that? See a little tiny cloud way off in the horizon. You're thinking rain's coming. But that's what Elijah said. Rain's coming. Now, he's not praying earnestly to move the hand of God. Because God already said it's going to rain. So there's other, other things that are in the way. And he's praying. And we're, we're fighting those things to come through. And they did. Now, I'm sure that the enemy loves that a drought is going on and affecting Israel to the point that it could wipe them out. But he prayed earnestly that it would rain. And then it rained. But he didn't let up. See, some Christians would have let up after maybe the first time. Some would have survived until the second or third. But remember, continue earnestly involves waiting, uh, pers persevering for a time. That's that time element in there. That you keep going on in diligence until that thing is done. You stay with it. You don't, you don't let it go. There are some things we've taken on in the area of faith and we've let them go too soon. Mm -hmm. Don't be letting them go too soon. 
And just because somebody gives you a bad report or you don't get the report that you think you ought to get, don't let it go. Don't let it go at all. Continue earnestly in prayer. Being vigilant. Now, a lot of times we're going into prayer and we're continuing in prayer, but there's no vigilance. There's no watchful. There's no continuing. There's no endurance in our prayer. We've got to get rid of those things. If we're going to be praying, we need to continue earnestly in prayer and be vigilant. Be watchful. And then he goes on with one more thing. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. I was thinking about this for a little bit. I got some, some different things for you than we, we talked about this before. But this word here for thanksgiving is used 15 times in the New Testament. That's what that little, those little bracketed numbers are for. 15 times this word is used. Now, don't get mis- mistaken by this. This word, if you looked at it, you, uh, Eucharistia. I can't read Greek words in English. It sounds like the Eucharist. And understand that the Eucharist is taken from this word. But it is not a New Testament teaching. It is an early church teaching. Not a New Testament teaching. It does not come out of the New Testament. The early church took that word and used it on the Lord's Supper and called it the Eucharist. But that's not the Bible teaching it. That was man teaching it. So this word has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper except that man tied it together. So do understand that. So, but it means gratitude, grateful language, thankfulness, and thanksgiving. I like that, that part right there, grateful language. That means the language that we use in prayer is a language of being grateful. Grat- gratitude, grateful language to God as an act of worship, thankfulness, and thanksgiving. Complaining about how things are or longing for how we wish things would be, often permeate believers' prayers. We talked about complaining here on Sunday. Spent some time on that. But too often our prayers are going into a place of complaint. We're complaining about how things are, how we want things to be. Why do we have to keep enduring this? Why does this continue to go on? We want explanations. We want things. There's no thankfulness in our prayers. It's, it's gone. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. See, if we take those three things and we put them into our prayers, a lot of our prayers are out the window. A lot of our prayer time is gone. But he says continue in it. Stay with it in this area of thanksgiving. Now, this is, uh, this is something a little different. I haven't given it to you this way before. But this is the way I was receiving it here today on this area of Thanksgiving. To many, prayer is where we change things. Right? To many, prayer is where we change. We go to prayer to change things. I don't, I'm not satisfied with how things are, so I'm going into prayer to change them. And that's really what a lot of times our focus on prayer is. To many, prayer is where we change things, not accept things. We go to prayer to change things, not to accept things. But here, thanksgiving involves an acceptance of how things are. Just, just think about that for a minute. 
Thanksgiving involves an acceptance of how things are. Now, I'll give you a case in point. I'll give you an example for this. Say that somebody came up and gave you a brand new car. A brand new car. And you say out of your mouth, thank you for the car, but I wish it was red. Right? Thank you for the car, but I wish it was red. How thankful are you? Hasn't that little extra part you put on there just wiped out the thankfulness? Hasn't it just the person who gave you the car, haven't they just become deflated? I thought, boy, this person is going to be so excited. I'm giving them a brand new car. And now their mouth comes. Thank you, but I wish it was red. <laughs> just a little, I mean, I really like the car. I just, I just wish, I wish it was red. See, there's not an acceptance of how things are. Thanksgiving involves an acceptance of how things are. Right? I thank you for being my friend, but you could be a better one. I mean, right? Try this one out. I want to thank you for being my spouse, marrying me. But you know you could be more attractive. Right? How far will that get you? Is the thank you even heard? Is the, thank you, the thank you is gone, isn't it? Thank you for the raise, but I was expecting more. Doesn't thankfulness have an air of an acceptance of how things are? Don't you just say, thank you for how it is. But you see, a lot of times we're going to God and, you know, God, I appreciate that job you gave me. But, seriously, I've been at this job for a long time. I think it's time for a promotion. I think it's time for a raise. I think it's time for... (laughs) Mm -hmm. See, Thanksgiving involves an acceptance of how things are. But too often we come to God with an air of Thanksgiving, but we're not accepting how things are. We're dissatisfied with how things are. I don't like how this is going. And I'm going into prayer to change it. Because I'm not happy with how things are. We can go in there and say, Well, God, I want to thank you for the friends that I have, but I sure think I deserve more. I sure think I deserve better ones. What do I have to do to to get better friends? Get more friends? Whatever it might be. Does God hear the thank you? No, if God doesn't hear the thank you, then what happens to our thanksgiving in prayer? It's gone. Why? Because of my refusal to accept how things are. See, sometimes we get into the area of faith and we forget that there needs to be contentment. We think sometimes that being a faith person means I'm not content with how things are because I'm always contending for how things should be. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Can I come into prayer with an acceptance of how things are? With a contentment. Father God, I thank you for the blessings that you gave me. I thank you for the things that you've done. Abraham, we talked about this just recently, but Abraham came to God, or God came to Abraham. Abraham, how you doing? Isn't 
life a blessing? Well, it would be if I had an heir. He's got all this stuff. God has blessed him with flocks, money, possessions. He's one of the richest guys. And what's he focused on? What he doesn't have. Too often the enemy gets us to focus on what we do not have. And our thanksgiving is gone. Because in order to be thankful, there must be an acceptance of how things are. At one point, Paul teaches us the prayer has to have contentment. Contentment needs to be with our prayers. Are we content? Are we content with what we have? It's fine to press on and and go after more. But there's got to be contentment too. Because if I am not content with the things that I have, I will not be thankful for them. And if I am not thankful for what I have, I won't enter into prayers with thanksgiving. And only three things he mentions our prayers need to have. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, in it with thanksgiving. Three things. You would think three things be easy to do in the prayer area, wouldn't it? I put this in your outline for you. True thanksgiving contains contentment. True thanksgiving contains contentment. Comes to that point where you say, thank you for that car. No mention of the color. And even inside yourself, you say, you know what? I'm going to grow to like green. Become content. But see, we're not always content. We're always striving for something different. Continue earnestly. You stay with that prayer until the cows come home. You say, I'm staying with this thing until this thing is through. I am not being deterred. I'm staying awake. I'm staying vigilant. And I am remaining thankful. That every time I go into prayer, every time I go into prayer, how many times do we see prayers and thanksgiving mentioned? And yet we can still go into prayers and start off complaining or end up complaining. We may even go into prayer, start off thanksgiving. Father God, I want to thank you for the, this. And I want to thank you for that. And thank you for that. But you know, I've been asking for this for a while now. Because we're always mindful that prayer ought to change things. Surely prayer can change things. But we need to sometimes become content. Now, I'm not talking about being content with sickness and disease and the things that God has not, has not said. We're talking about being content with what God has blessed you with. You see, we've got friends out there. Don't get in that place where, I'll, well, you know, I'll just be content that I'll just have only so much pain in my body. You say, that's not, that's not scriptural. God has not given that to you. You be content with the things God has given you. Make sure we make that straight. Get content with the things that God has given you. Has God given you the friends that are in your life? Get content with them. I don't care if there's only two. Be content with such things as you have. God has blessed you with a job. Be content with that job. God has blessed you with a house. Be content with that house. God has blessed you with a car. Be content with that car. Whatever God has blessed you with, be content with it. Whatever the enemy has thrown your way, don't be content with that. Get rid of that thing. But when God has given you something, and don't blame God for what the devil did. We know better than that. 
God has given you stuff, don't lose sight of the fact that God has given to you. God has brought that into your life. You'll never lose sight. That is a blessing from God. That is something that God has given you. Don't lose sight of it. Let's finish this up here. So our prayer should contain a continual earnestness to persevere toward a goal. You got a goal. You got something that you're praying towards. Now watch how this all flows together. A watchfulness and alertness for when things change. You're focused on a goal. As you're praying, you're focusing, you're watching for when things change. Yet with a contentment for how things are now. You see how they work together? I can be content in all things such as I have. I can have a view of something greater in the future. And I can be watchful for how things change moving towards that. My prayers should involve these three things. A focus on the goal, a contentment with where I am, giving thanks always, and an earnestness, a vigilance, a watchfulness. We're looking for things to change. And when things change, we begin to see. Remember the wise men? Praying, looking towards a goal. And when they saw something change, they were ready to move. They were ready to... to, to and they, they waited for quite a while for that. But they were ready to move. Go over that one more time. A continued earnestness to persevere toward a goal. A watchfulness and alertness for when things change, yet with a contentment for how things are now. Never lose your contentment. Always press towards the goal to the higher calling and never lose your contentment with what you have now. That's the attitude that we should have in prayer. You keep that attitude in prayer, your prayers will change. They will change. They will be altered. But they'll be altered for good. It is hard. You'll be hard-pressed to make an unscriptural prayer if you have these three elements in your prayers. You'll be hard-pressed. not saying it's not possible. You'd be hard-pressed to do it. You eliminate one of these elements, you have a much easier time having an unscriptural prayer and an unscriptural prayer life. But stay with us, and the enemy will never be able to get you condemned because you're not praying enough, not praying long enough, not praying hard enough, because you'll know, now nah, I got this mix going on. This is all keeping me in balance. And you're going to stay balanced in your prayers. And you'll stay effective in your prayers as well. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us to understand your word and to bring these elements into all of our prayers, that our prayer life is dominated by these things, that we continue to look towards the goal of what we are praying for. We continue to watch to see the changes as they are brought about, but we always stay content with whatsoever things that we have that we are always grateful and always thankful for those things. And not thankful, but just thankful for what we have. We give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.